0: This is a production of Epic Media. And welcome to our first ever, I guess, kind of live-slash-recorded uh, shop night here. We took a few weeks off. I was traveling. We had Thanksgiving. Um, just a lot going on, and we are... At the Milwaukee Miniature Motors model car and racing memorabilia show. You oh, got, got, it got it in it. the first I, take. I've been practicing. So, here in Waukesha, Wisconsin. Can
1: you say this, Pat? I, uh, no, I was
0: impressed. <laughs> <laughs> I've, been, I've been practicing. Um, so, we are here and we are presented by uh, Scores It today. Um, and Scores It is the ultimate scorekeeper for any backyard game that scores up to 21 points. The manufacturer design has two holders a drink or two drink holders, a dual cell phone holder, a bottle opener, and is made here in the U.S. Pat, do you play uh, cornhole or anything, any backyard
1: games? I grew up and cornhole was not, I mean, while I was growing up, cornhole was not a good word, so, no, I don't do that. You don't do this? So. No. <laughs> so maybe, maybe the drink it is more your style. Well, if
0: you're, drinking if finch, drinking, if and finch. sitting by a fire is, you is, is his backyard. Right. Maybe you need oh, to yeah. ch- you need to check out scoresit.com. The legendary bonfires are my <laughs> backyard. You, you, you can get a scoresit. Uh, they are made of high quality steel and aluminum right here in the U.S. by our friends at Weir's Machine. So order your scoresit today. Well, again, we are back. Uh, my name is Drew. We got Kevin here. We have Pat Haney. We will get to him here in a second. Um, but a lot to catch up on. Uh, Kevin, I know you kind of wanted to talk about kind of lap one, turn one, uh, the, the NASCAR penalties, and Pat, you can jump in whenever whenever you want. I don't know if you had seen, um, and I don't even know remember what teams it was, but it was at Homestead, uh, three teams penalized and fined heavily by NASCAR.
2: Yeah, for, you would seem to think that NASCAR would not want to penalize backmarker teams or, or lower-budget teams um, in the effort to want to have people compete. And certainly teams like that don't have the money to to pay fines and and lose people that are important to their programs. And based on what I read,
0: um, it was, was it the front row cars? Um, It was the 52,
2: the 27. And
0: they basically brought a few cars in. Pitted to allow somebody to get into the top 30 in points, which I'm guessing has a financial, financial for the charter, game, yeah, for the charter, um, yeah, for the charter. So it's one of those deals that you know the NASCAR came down. I don't, I don't know if it's so much the fact that they did it, it's that they got caught doing it. And they, they have a precedence with Mike Waltrip Racing at Richmond. Um, they sanctioned them even harder. Right. Um, it was more than I think 50 grand. I think it was 300 thousand or something like that, um, and pulled them out of the chase. But it's one of those deals. It's kind of the same thing with Bubba Wallace. If you do it, don't don't, don't brag about it. it. Don't yep. talk about it. Don't don't, don't keep it on the radio. Uh, you know, keep all that stuff kind of in your teams. Um, but what,
2: yeah.
1: what do you think, Pat? Well, I think keeping it quiet is very hard to do. Number one, but um, everybody talks. Have you ever been a part of any of that? Any any
0: teammates or any any fixing of racing races, so on? You know, like kind of maybe. A, I see a lot in like a last chance race. You know, it's like, hey, you know, yeah, can, take you, can you let me, can you yep. let me in? Yep. Or, you know, I'm I'm getting the provisional, so I'll let this guy race his way in, and I'll take the provisional. You know, kind of
1: a short track. No, happens. I've never been a part of that. In fact, I've never even had a radio on one of my race cars. So if somebody wanted me to do something, I wouldn't have a clue what they're talking not, about.
2: I'm not sure anybody'd ever be his
1: teammate. <laughs> Probably, probably more true. Hey, I, I, I just got a question. Did Carl Long ever pay his fine? Um, Did he ever race again?
2: He's raced in the Xfinity Series, but I don't know if he's raced in Cup. I have no idea. I kind of forgot about that huge. That was $200,000, was not it? Yeah. That was huge for money. an engine.
1: Right, or something, yeah. yeah.
2: For an engine, yeah. For
1: yeah. a, a back marker. Right, yeah. Because yeah. they were talking
0: when Bubba got fined that it, how it used to be. You had to show up to the track the next week with your money, otherwise you aren't going to get to run. And so I don't know if that's still the same, you know, but because they were just, you know, Bubba had to come up with 50,000 50 yep, 50, yep. before the following week, which, yeah. I mean, he, he probably has the money, but it's, that's still a lot of money to anybody.
1: Yeah. Maybe it's all part of what's happening to NASCAR nowadays. Absolutely. Uh, a lot of people don't uh, don't find it very interesting anymore. I myself, I still enjoy it. Uh, I record all the races watch them in about 45 minutes but uh you know you get about 2 hours of commercials anyway so <laughs> um, <laughs> it's, it's still a lot of going around in circles it doesn't seem like guys are trying very hard sometimes but uh you know first first couple laps after a caution the first couple before uh, or the last couple before the end of a stage and worth it, watching
2: and then it, then it heats up yep
1: so that kind of transition into do you watch
0: a lot of the uh a lot of short track you, we have Snowball Derby is supposed to happen today as we're recording this, and I think there's some weather down there. Um, But do you stay in tune with kind of the the national short track
1: scene? Um, As much as I can, basically on Facebook. um, You know, I was kind of intrigued by the whole Bickle thing and the last chance deal. What's your take on that? that. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Rich Bickle's a fiery guy, interesting guy, big guy. I don't think I'd want to piss him off. Although he's not that much bigger than me, but still. Something about a two-by-four. Wouldn't want to get hit by a two-by-four. My mind hit me with a two-by-four. It's the last time I ever gave her any crap. Uh, <laughs> oh, you know, but I can appreciate what he's saying. To some extent, um, racing has changed. And there are, I think as you get older in the sport, you feel as though there's less respect from the younger generation. I don't know how true that is, Uh, Kevin and I were just talking about that. There's always been people that have raced disrespectfully. Um, I find it interesting that you got 13, 14-year-old kids who never even driven a car on a highway, do they even have, you know, an understanding of what speed is? They have no fear of speed. We get our fear, I think, by looking at people getting wrapped around telephone poles and piled up on the freeway. You know, okay, mm-hmm. that wreck happened at seventy miles an hour. Holy cow, man! I don't want you know. Right. But a kid, speed means nothing to them. So go as fast as you have to. I think we're a little more reserved. Do you think? Do you think? Especially you think as you so, get older. Do you think that
0: some of it is that age? That that it's. You you bring up a good point, one that I haven't heard before of there's been guys for years that you just didn't drive respectfully so this isn't anything new do you think it's the age that then we we link that because they're they're younger that they don't respect the older that you know the older racers that they don't expect how they don't respect how to race because like you said i've seen guys in their 30s and 40s do exactly what josephor did as well it's not the fact that he's 16 it's just
1: you know that that gets linked to to him you know there's a different mentality to a lot of people once they tighten up the helmet strap I've seen some very mild-mannered people get pretty crazy on a racetrack and I've never understood it but uh, the thing I think a lot of the older racers have a problem with is a lot of these kids don't work on their cars so they don't come up the hard way with busted knuckles and dirt under their fingernails and stuff like that the fact that somebody's paying for their racing that's been happening forever you know, there's been a lot of people that had somebody pay for their racing. But um, I, I, if it wasn't for the youth racing, where would we be That's in this sport? It is true. You know, I mean, they keep bringing the age down because we kind of keep putting cars in the pits and butts in the stands.
2: That's true. It's a double-edged sword. So, I
0: we'll transition into kind of your story, Pat. Um when did you when did you get started in racing? When when were you first exposed
1: to racing? Um how did how did your racing background begin? Well according to my mom, and a lot of people don't know this, but there was a quarter mile dirt track inside of the one mile oval at uh at the Milwaukee Mile. And um my dad took me when I was two years old and I'm not even gonna say what year that was, but uh <laughs> And my mom says I was a different person from that point on. She says I would find anything I could race. And I was making racetracks all over the house with whatever. And I'd race marbles and I, anything that rolled. And, uh, of course, I don't remember any of that. I don't really have any recollection of any racing until about 63, 64. But uh, that was the beginning of my end and
2: uh, a beginning of your end, yeah,
1: been at it ever since. When did you,
0: um, you know, was it did you jump onto a crew first? Did you jump right into a race car?
1: Well, it's kind of interesting. My mom, uh, my mom, and my dad split, and uh, my mom was, um, she needed some somebody to help her keep her cars running. She was getting $30 beaters to drive to, to and from work, and they were breaking down a lot. So there was a guy that wanted to build a race car. He agreed to keep my mom's beaters running for the use of her garage. So of course this guy wanted to build a car for Hills Corner Speedway, which was m- my home track, I guess. And I was out there every day in the winter helping him build this car. And the next one, and the one after that, and... Uh, and so on, and so I mean, on, how, and so on. How old on. were you
0: at this time? Uh, 12, 13. So you were, you were a 12 year old kid out in the shop, getting your getting your fingers
1: dirty and busting knuckles and fish mouthing steel tubing. And for those of you don't don't realize what that is, you got to weld two pieces of tubing together, and one of them has to have a curvature to go around the other one. So we did this with hand grinders. It would take me about an hour and a half, two hours, to make one fish mouth, which nowadays they make in about five seconds, but. Is that where you learned how to weld and how to do a lot of the, uh, lot of the mechanical work? I don't or? think they let me use the welder for a couple of years, but uh, I learned on a, with a stick welder. What was the first car that you worked on? Do you remember? 57 Chevy. We built a 57 Chevy for 600 bucks. took it out to the racetrack, uh, took it to Slinger the second night, and almost won the feature. And that was... Uh, it was pretty cool. So this was, you were 12, 13 at that time? Yeah. Were you allowed in the pits at that time? Um, that year, he he didn't have anybody helping him a couple of times, and they did allow me in the pits. Because I know a lot of tracks back in that day, you had to be 16 yeah, or 18, 18 to get into the, 18. To the pits. So they'd, they'd allow me in the pits, but I had to stay right next to the car. Well, cool.
2: So the Okay, I'm going to ask. I could save it to the end, but I'm going to ask now. Why do they call you Hacksaw? It's not because you're left-handed. <laughs> I know that.
1: Um, so where did it come from? Well, you know, I got in a scuffle with a guy, and I got pissed off at him, and I took my Hacksaw and cut his race car in half and stuff. No. Uh, no. That would be a better story. Though, that that be. would sound yeah. like a, it's a good story. Yeah, yeah.
2: You want to go with that, or you want to tell sure. us the truth?
1: Sure, sure. The truth <laughs> is I was building a car in my buddy's shop, and he had a very rickety table, and we didn't have any kind of power saw, so I used this Hacksaw to cut all this tubing and... I kept smashing my knuckles on his on his vise, and uh, he gave me the name, and it just stuck. So that's the truth. That's the boring truth.
2: <laughs> well, it's the truth. I, you heard it here first. That's right. Pat told me the truth. That's right. right.
1: So
0: when did you when did you jump into a race car?
1: Well, I was going to start in 1975, but I went and uh, helped out Uncle Sam for a while. And in uh, '81, we bought a car, and. Uh, That was the beginning of the end again. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Chapter two started racing at the end of '81 season and uh, one rookie year in '82. And what track was that? This was at Hills Corner Speedway, and I competed against sixteen other rookies. I had this. uh, We did this uh, little speech up at the Wisconsin Dells banquet just a month ago or so, and I told him I says in '82 I beat. Sixteen other guys for Rookie of the Year honors in 91. I beat eight other guys for Rookie of the Year honors, and here I am in 2019 winning Rookie of the Year, and I beat nobody. I was the only rookie. Kind of the evolution of, of <laughs> racing. Huh? Sixteen other rookies,
0: that'd be a, a good feature at some, this, at some tracks today.
1: Yeah, yeah. Believe it or not, a number of those guys are still racing. Did you, what was the, What was your first car 57, well, it was a 62 Ford, but I never raced it. Um, first one I raced was a 57 Chevy. And what division was that in? It's what they called a sportsman division. There was only two divisions at the track back then, uh, late model and sportsman, unlike the seven or 18 divisions that they have now. Did you? Do you remember that first year? Oh, yeah, yeah. You never forget. You never forget your... I probably remember almost every race I've ever been in. It's probably close to a thousand of them. You never, you never forget who took you out. <laughs> you never forget a last lap pass, whether it's you for the win or somebody else. So do you have, do you have a list? For uh, I used to have numbers, numbers on my roll bar, as to guys that uh, had one coming. Did you ever look up and go, oh yeah, and then? <laughs> There's Jimmy Flintstone. <laughs> <laughs> we are live. Oh! Did you ever get anybody back that was up on your roll bar? <clears throat> believe it or not, might find this hard to believe. I've only intentionally hit one guy in all my years of racing, and I felt horrible about doing it. And it's just because he was holding me up and he was in my groove, like I owned that groove or something, and I just gave him a shot in the tail and moved him out of the way and passed him, and I... I just don't drive that way, and I felt horrible. I really do, and I apologized to him, you know, did that you night, and two years later, and ten years later at a party with him. And uh, did you win the race though? Well, I finished ahead of him. That's <laughs> <laughs> all that, that matters.
2: Oh man, good stuff. I, good I honestly
1: stuff. don't know if I won that race or not. <laughs> so your
0: rookie year, did you, did you? You you say you remember it? Did you?
1: Did you win a race? Did you win a few races? Or? Yeah, we were actually doing really good. Um, this car was a lot of fun to drive. I was like the only one out there on street tires. Everybody else had race tires. And I'm like, I can't afford race tires. So uh, we figured out how to make radial tires from the street work. This car was really heavy, like 4,500 pounds. But uh, good handling car. And I didn't know any better. I just drove the snot out of it. <laughs> too, too stupid to know any better, huh? <laughs> exactly. It hasn't changed. And I wouldn't want to get hit by that thing, man. That thing was a tank. <laughs> so did you do any traveling that rookie year or kind of as the years went ah, on? This or is you a at? great story. This is a great story. We took the 57 Chevy up the Slinger a night after running on the dirt. And I'm running around a heat race, and there's a Camaro behind me, and he kept slamming into the back of me going into the turns. And back then we had mirrors in the car, and I'm thinking, "What's wrong with you? Just pass me." Every turn, he'd slam into the back of me. And eventually I saw this big puff of smoke, and I came around, and his car's sitting in the infield, the front end's all pushed in, radiators busted. I go to the pits, and there's four guys walking towards my car. One of them's got a crowbar, and I'm like, "Oh crap!" <laughs> and they're screaming and yelling at me. I said, "What is your problem?" You destroyed my car. Da, 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 da. I says, Why didn't you pass me? He says, I was sliding in your dirt that was falling out of your frame rails. <laughs> and I just looked at my buddies and I kind of chuckled and I went, Wow, we got to remember that. <laughs> got to make sure to go to the, oh. the dirt track before you come back. Load them up, up with dirt and dump it on the track. You'll never get past
2: James Bond, 2.0. Point, two point <laughs> was, was,
1: was that your rookie year? It was, that? yeah. That was you remember JR Racing, parts supplier, guy named JR Racing? Well, he turned into a parts supplier, but that was Jim Rogers, who <laughs> I wrecked unintentionally. Oh. You wrecked
0: and you were in front of him, huh? R- so it's yeah. like the old Earnhardt yeah. thing. You r- never passed me. Backed up into you. Huh? He backed so into you. you. You backed into him. <laughs> well, you know.
1: <laughs> you, you see it your way, he see it hits, sees it his. You got to do what you got to do sometimes. <laughs>
0: so then how long did your – you started in 81. How
1: long did you race for? Well, 81, we just ran one night. I bought the car, and I ran one night. And back then, you didn't want to screw up your rookie status, so you couldn't run. You couldn't, have, couldn't take home a paycheck or something like that. What was the question? I'm sorry. <laughs> how, lo- how long did you race for through the years? Oh. Um, I raced through 92 and then decided to open a speed shop. I, f- I saw a need for a used race car speed shop basically and it actually was very successful and then of course people wanted us to sell new parts so we did that and they wanted us to build cars so we did that and um, hi Mike and uh, we did that for about 12 13 years or so and then Hales Corners closed and everybody thought I'd be out of business and I said now nah, I'm gonna keep going for a couple more years but um, The Internet probably did more damage than good for my business, and I should have got on that bandwagon selling stuff on the Internet.
2: So when did you decide to go the vintage route? Because I I only know Pat Haney, the vintage racer.
1: Well, that was after I shut down Buddy's racing equipment. Um, I had bought a 69 GTO from one of the kids that raced at Hales, and some guy had a vintage series this is probably about 2006, 2007, and he wouldn't, allow, he wouldn't let me race the GTO because it had a Chevy motor in it, and he wanted everything to be stocked. So he asked me to drive his 57 Ford, which was not stock. <laughs> and uh, I won the first race in that car, and he didn't like that because I beat him. He got kind of mad at me. Hired but, uh, and
2: fired in the same night?
1: Well, no, I mean, he still needed people and, you know, still need people to drive some of the cars. I didn't realize it, but he owned, like, all the cars. <laughs> but uh, I'm like, is this, what, stage racing or what? I'm not supposed to win again? And, you know, unfortunately, a lot of vintage was that way back then. They didn't want people stinking up the shows. But I finally begged him into let me uh, bring my GTO out. We had a clean sweep at Madison. he says, don't ever bring that car back, da-da-da-da-da-da. I says, okay, well, I'll get this Chevelle out of Arizona, which obviously looked much better in the pictures than it did when I got it. <laughs> so I call him up, I says, okay, and I got a Chevelle now. And he comes over and looks at it. He says, you'll never race that in my series either. And I'm like, what the hell? So I hooked up with a guy out of Illinois, Art Furman. And let me tell you, this guy knew how to run a vintage series. I raced with him for probably seven, eight years, had a blast. Ran all over the place, dirt, asphalt, you name it. Healthy car counts. And that that was the
0: Illinois group, right? Yep. The, they raced, what, Rockford, uh, come we up to raced, Madison.
1: They
2: up to Madison, we we
1: raced I think, the Dells. We Grundy, Dells we came up to the Dells, uh, we raced at Wilmot, um, dirt tracks in the middle of Illinois. It was a great series, had a lot of fun. And that's when I started running with the guys in central Wisconsin, too. So that's how I met Kevin. And, uh, yeah, we had a couple of cars. I had a Chevelle and a, and a Monte Carlo. And that Monte Carlo vintage car is the modified that I run today. And where are you running the modified at? Uh, last year we ran at Wisconsin Dells.
0: So in their, in their modified division, right? Correct, yep. Did you go over to Madison at all? Um, their Misfits class?
1: No, I haven't done that. Um, no offense, Greg McCarns, if you're listening, but I'm not a big fan of that half-mile track. <laughs> small-track guy, huh? Well, well, he didn't do that at lacrosse. Uh, something about winding out my, my garbage motors, you know, for 10 seconds down a straightaway just isn't appealing to me. <laughs> oh, so you won't be able to Milwaukee anytime soon? Uh, you know, Milwaukee mile, I've, I've done that, and that bores me. And that's people are going to go, you're nuts, you're crazy. What does that mean? I, no, it bored me. I remember the first time doing it, and it's like, give me the Sunday paper. I need something to do going down the front stretch. <laughs> and in all reality, <laughs> I ran a screen in my car. And so I come out of turn four, and I stand on it for the first time. And my car's like dancing down the straightaway, and I'm holding the steering wheel straight. And what is going on? We didn't realize it, but people have said the car's were actually lifting off the racetrack. The air was getting, getting caught underneath the rough. That's that,
2: garbage, that's that garbage motor that don't make no smoke yeah. down the straightaway. Yeah, exactly. Lifting, lifting that left front tire.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So we had, to, uh, we had to get somebody to run over to Menards and buy some cheap Lexan and put some Lexan in it just to keep the car on the ground, and that's when it got boring. I should have left the Lexan out. It was a lot more fun to drive. A little, little more unpredictable. <laughs> oh, man.
0: <laughs> Good stuff. What was, it, what was it like going into, do you remember the first time at Milwaukee? Because that, that has to be the biggest track that you've ran on, right? Oh, yeah,
1: by far. Um, first time sailing it off into probably turn one would be where you finally get it wound up, right? You know, I probably lifted at the flag stand, and then the next lap realized that I could have gone, you know, 10 feet farther or whatever. Um, for some reason, I didn't have any fear at Milwaukee unlike the first time I ever raced, when I did lift at the flag stand, I still had, you know, 500 yards to go, but. Um, I know one, one time my kid, my kid and I were practicing out there and I know we were playing this game of chicken and I won because I damn near put it in the fence and he made the <laughs> turn and, but I saved it and I put my dirt track skills to, uh, to the test and I went sideways through one and two <laughs> I'm like, wow! There's a lot more fun than just driving it through the turn. <laughs> well, you guys were seeing who would stand at the longest, or I, it was—it was a race that I don't think either of us wanted to lift, but there was concrete there. <laughs> we didn't have a choice. you were <laughs> forced to. Oh, geez.
2: All right. Um, let's talk about Pat Haney, the the historian, as it <coughs> were, the the photo collector, the the guy that sits on mm. the board for the. Uh, Southeast Wisconsin Hall of Fame. What? Um, why do you enjoy doing that?
1: Well, obviously racing isn't exciting enough for me, so I got to involve myself in all kinds of other stuff. Um, the photo thing. Back before I was a racer, I took pictures of all the race cars, and uh, kept this collection going. And even at once I started racing, at the end of the season, I'd go up to the photographer and say, "Let me look at what you got left." I'll buy a lot of it. I went to a show, uh, a car show, uh, with, uh, with race cars and stuff. And I took my collection there, and I just put it out on display for people to, to see and share. And uh, everybody wanted to buy some of the pictures. And I thought, well, heck, maybe I should scan these or make copies and start selling. And that's what started that madness. And now we're... Uh, Approaching a million images on a number of hard drives that I've got laying around from tracks all over the Midwest. And it's just insane. It's crazy. Initially this started out as just being Milwaukee area, now it's uh, expanding to places I never thought.
2: Is it is it kind of cool to think about you're kind of a keeper of history? I mean, I think it's kind of neat when I see all the photos that you bring in. in people go, hey, I was at this race in 19-whatever, I remember that car. Was well, that pretty yeah, cool? Yeah,
1: yeah, there's so many cool things about it. I, I'd like to think we're trying to preserve history. Um, back, some people may, may not remember this, but back, uh, back in the day, they had two racing papers called the Midwest Racing News and the Checkered Flag Racing News, and I religiously read those things front to back and familiarized myself with every track in the area. You know, if I didn't go to certain tracks, I still knew who the hot dogs were and stuff. And now if I'm collecting pictures of these guys, that's, that's really cool, you know, to have like a photo album of a bunch of guys that from a track I never raced at, but I knew who they were. And all these guys were my heroes, you know. I mean, I had guys that were heroes down at Santa Fe, and I never raced with them, but it's like, you know, I don't know. It's a sickness. Do you f- think that, like, on
0: today, you know, the with things like Facebook and all the teams have their own page that there, there's too much information that we never really we never really absorb anything, you know, because so many people that, you know, grew up in the 80s in the heyday of racing mentioned those papers, mentioned reading them, and you guys, you you took that information in and it meant something. Now we see. We see all the information that were in those magazines and newspapers plus more, and it feels like
1: we're more disconnected than ever from the short track world. It's unfortunate that the racing papers didn't make it because people miss those. But it's a business, and apparently the business was failing for whatever reason. Um, So all we have left is social media. And, you know, everybody's a photographer if you got a phone. So everybody's sharing pictures, which is fine. It's, it is what it is. <laughs> um, what I'm concerned with is youth has no interest in the history of racing. They could care less who won a championship 10 years ago, 15, 20 years ago. That kind of bothers me because I think the hist- it's such a rich history and I think it's important to keep it going and keep it alive. And I don't know. I don't. I don't know how to fix that except I'm trying to help keep it alive, keep it going. And uh, I'll tell you the neatest thing about doing these these uh, these shows is I'll get a guy from Hales Corners. I'm, I'm real heavy with the Hales Corners stuff. He'll come up and he'll say. You know, I see you get all these Hales pictures. You probably don't even know me. I only won one race today. I know you ain't got a picture. I says, what's your name? And he tells me, I says, okay, 1973, number 127. I open up the thing. I says, there you go. And he's like, floored. you got to be kidding. You actually got a picture of me carrying the checkered flag. It's two bucks, man. Yours.
0: It, do you think some of that is the scarcity that it still means something? Like now... I mean, you know, Kevin and I helped, you know, a nine-year-old on a go-kart. We had every single picture. It was posted everywhere. Everybody sees that right away. Whereas, again, this guy that maybe won one feature, it's, it's just limited. There's limited information about it. And so when they feel that and when they see it, it, it brings back those memories where in today's world,
1: we're shared, we share it right away, and it's like it's, it's forgotten in 10 minutes. Well, I don't know how it's going to be in 20 years from now. And how it's going to reflect back to today. But I do know this much, that most racers got so much better after they you know, quit racing and they got much older. You know, They might have won one or two races, but you know, 20 years after they won 20 or 30 of them. We're all just a bunch of liars anyway. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I don't know, it's, it's, it's cool. You know, you, you mentioned the Hall of Fame. And I'll tell you, one of the things that I thought was really cool about the Hall of Fame is it gave racers a reason to keep on pushing on. And what I I mean by that is a lot of guys that were put into the Hall of Fame, their health wasn't real good. And we were trying to get them in before they passed. And a lot of guys, their, their lives became revitalized when they realized they were important again. Sure. And people were talking about them and reliving the memories. And you could just see it in their faces, you know, their their reactions to being able to share their youth with people again. Because back then they were somebody. But when you're racing, you don't look at yourself as being anybody. But years later, you reflect. And, you know, I may have been pretty good back then. But you need people to kind of remind you that you were... And that's what the Hall of Fame did. How did you get involved with them? There's a guy named John Sergis who uh, basically resurrected the Hales Corners Modifies, which was uh, a very popular uh, type of race car back in the 60s. And uh, he was a huge fan of these guys that raced, which is, uh, they had an incredible following. And he wanted to do something like a hall of fame, to uh, remember these guys and give them their, their accolades and stuff. So uh, he asked for uh, some volunteers, and I was one of the guys who volunteered to help. And I was one of the six board members that created the, uh, the Southeastern Wisconsin Short Track Hall of Fame, which is basically housed in, uh, at the Hartford Auto Museum. And uh, I think we started doing that <laughs> late 90s, early 2000, maybe about 2005 or so. And you guys really focus on kind of this
0: area. What, what tracks would you say kind of when, when you guys are thinking about who to induct in, do you have a criteria on that or is it do they have to race at a certain track or
1: was it geographical? Well, because it was called Southeastern, we focused on certain tracks. And initially it was to to give the modifies their, their just due. Um, so there were tracks down in the Milwaukee area, Waukegan, uh, Waukegan, Wilmont, Lake Geneva were like the Tri-County area. The Milwaukee area was uh, State Fair, Hales Corner, Slinger, Cedarburg, and Beaver Dam. And then we, uh, we acknowledged the tracks up in uh, Eastern Wisconsin, Plymouth, Chilton, 141 Speedway. Those were all tracks that the Modifieds raced at. And so that was initially what we were focusing on. And uh, we did that for quite a while. And then um, I don't know, some people felt as though we were running out of people that were Hall of Fame worthy. I didn't myself, but some people felt that way. And some names started coming up of people that didn't really focus on that area when they raced. And um, I would say Dick Trickle was probably the first to get into that Hall of Fame that didn't spend a whole lot of time at any of those tracks. He did run Slinger Nationals and some other tracks, I mean, some other races at Slinger, but... uh, And now it's kind of, uh, I'm not on the board anymore. Um, In fact, none of the original six members are on the board, but it's still going, there's still a board. And it looks like it's becoming more of a Wisconsin Hall of Fame, which is fine. Do you think things like that are
0: what n- racing needs to keep, to keep going and to try to
1: educate the youth on the history? You know, I would like to think that the youth has some interest in this and would like to learn. I just don't see it, unfortunately. Um, I think... Any hall of fame for any type of athlete or race car drivers is, is worthy, and uh, it's a good thing. But now, where does it? I, I just don't know where it ends, you know. And a friend of mine, Art Furman, who started that Illinois Vintage thing, he came to one of our banquets, one of our Hall of Fame ceremonies. He just wanted to see it; had some interest in it, and. Afterwards, him and I were sitting down with a few beers, and I says, Art, I says, you know, there's so much history in in Illinois, you need to start in Illinois Hall of Fame. And he says, you're out of your mind. I says, just keep drinking. (laughs) The next day, the wheels were rolling, (laughs) and he's got a pretty successful deal, and he covers the whole state. Did it a little bit differently than we did, but uh, it's a very successful thing. And guys from the whole state are being honored. And maybe that's the direction that this Hall of Fame needs to go, you know, going down the road. Maybe it needs to keep expanding.
0: And I think that one of the things, like, you know, I've been in the racing world for a long time. I had just learned about the Southeastern Hall of Fame probably a couple of years ago. You know, and so I think you may be onto to something. Maybe it does need to start to expand out and get a little bit more reach. Um, to start to include you know some some top name regional guys to kind of to kind of keep that region going, and so there 's like you said it 's up to the new board members now, but um, I think things like that definitely will help and you know I think you know guys like Dale Jr that really are into the history of not only NASCAR but local short track racing, um, I think the youth look up to guys like him, and I, we you know hopefully we'll see we'll see that start to change, that some of the youth start to understand the history behind, you know, North Wilkesboro and Nashville and places that, you know, a lot of these guys grew up racing that they're now watching, watching on TV and just kind of the
1: history of the sport as a whole. You know, you had mentioned what the criteria was, and originally our criteria was championships. Championships and feature wins and longevity. And that's three pretty important things. You didn't necessarily have to win every, you know, all the championships, but if you were a front runner and you did this for 10, 12 years, and, you know you were considered. When I was a board member, my phone would ring and whoever on the other end was like, what's it gonna, what's it gonna take to get so-and-so into the Hall of Fame? I said, well, so-and-so never won a feature. Yeah, but he raced for six, seven, eight, nine years, and he was pretty good. And you know, it's kind of a problem because we all have our heroes, sure, sure, and we want our heroes to be in the Hall of Fame. Unfortunately, some of those heroes may not be Hall of Fame worthy, and that's a tough thing to tell somebody.
0: (laughs) And I think that's an okay debate, right? Like, I think it's an okay thing to go, hey, like you were important to racing. But you know, because it gives it gives guys something to shoot for, right? You know, and I think we look back to you know, we look at, you know, the quote unquote millennial that it's been participation trophies and everybody's made to feel important and you know, just yeah, guess yeah. what? You might you might you might have played a part in it, but there's a difference between being a champion or even being, you know, so maybe you weren't a champion but there's a lot of influential people in the sport that maybe have helped pioneer you know, you look at a chassis builder or a parts supplier or somebody like that that, you know, has been a part of racing that's evolutionized the sport but like you said, it's, everybody has their heroes, but
2: it's okay to have your hero that might not be Hall of Fame worthy. I'm going to take the, I'm going to segue here um, to let's just talk about heroes, let's talk about we're going to talk about the four guys, Pat, that we talked about, that you've felt were really important guys to the history of southeastern Wisconsin. Um, let's talk about, there's a four guys here, and we're going to talk about uh, Miles Melius first, um, the contribution,
1: you know. Miles Melius was probably the first superstar short track racer, at least in the southeastern Wisconsin area. Um, Beaver Dam, 1961, nobody else won a feature except Miles Melius. Won every feature, 16 of them, pretty incredible. Uh, Started racing in the late 40s, early 50s when records were not kept, so it's uncertain as to how many races he won, but I'm sure he could rival Dick Trickle. When they talk about the 1,000 wins, People love this guy, love to watch him race, and he was like the first guy to pull the left front tire off the ground as he was running around the racetrack, qualifying. Um, he had incredible following, and you know I, I've, got, I've got a business at my house, and people bring their stuff over to have repaired, and they see my race car and they go, "Oh, you know, I used to go to the races." I used to watch a guy named Miles Melius. Well, Miles Melius quit in 67, so you know you're talking to somebody that's pretty old. <laughs> but it's, it's amazing how people remember. We're talking about four names here. Miles Melius, Billy Johnson, Fuzzy Fosbender, and Itchy Bertzer. And that's the only, about the only names people remember from the 60s. And these guys were very, very good. And they were friends. And, you know... <laughs> Kevin and I were talking about this. I was trying to kind of educate him as to these guys. <laughs> and I said the best way to think about it is compare them with Trickle, Marzovka, Refner, and Bach. You take these four guys from southeast Wisconsin, those four guys from central Wisconsin, and it's basically about very similar. You know, grew up near each other, were friends back when they were kids, raced together forever, and raced hard, and uh, got along great. To the, f- to the point where, because Melius was like the guy to beat, he had a mouse on his car. A little uh, char- character uh, of a mouse, like Mickey Mouse. And Johnson was always chasing him, so he had a cat on his car. And Fuzzy was chasing the both of them, he had a hound on his car. And this was huge. And these guys, um, they weren't the only ones, but the cartoon characters were huge. People didn't necessarily remember the guy's name, but they remembered the cartoon yep. character, and that's how they, you know, yep. that's how they uh, cheered. They cheered for the cartoon character. Sometimes <laughs> they probably
0: didn't even know what the characters meant for them, but the they drivers.
2: Yeah, we're cheering for a right. hound
1: tonight. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, it was so cool, and it, it it created this incredible following between that and the fact that they used they race five nights a week. And they took combined points of all these five tracks and made one area champion. This this is the Pro Star Series, right, that we talked about? The Pro Star Circuit, and it kept people, if you were serious, you raced at all five tracks. So whoever came up with this brainstorm ensured that you were going to have good, healthy car counts, even 60 miles away from central Milwaukee, where most of the racers were or whatever. (coughs) for Tuesday night at Beaver Dam, which never drew very well, they'd still have 40 40 modified show up because these guys wanted to be part of the point system. So these guys were all modified? Well, you had two divisions back then. You had modified and sportsmen. And uh, And that was a precursor to a late model? Yes, yes. The modifieds ran until 1971, and then they got too big for their britches, I guess, is the best way to put it, and uh, the late models took over. Would you say that those four guys, were they, were they your heroes growing up, or who were who yes. your heroes? Well, those four were definitely my heroes. But believe it or not, I was kind of like the underdog. So where everybody was cheering for the, these four guys who were pretty much the best, I cheered for the guy who was like fifth or sixth in points. What, what know, was his like, character? What was, what was he? Um, my favorite was a guy named Gene Pedro Rail, and he had a little Speedy Gonzalez on the side of his car. You know, he was my favorite. And there was a Tony, t- there was a little tiger out there. There was a guy, with. Uh, he was the, t- the ducks, you name it. There was all <laughs> kinds of stuff. Tweety birds. Was, yeah. And um, that was in that division. But the other division was sportsmen. And I, re- I really pre- preferred the sportsmen division. I don't know why. it's just preferred full-bodied cars, even to this day. And there was a guy named Frank Smith who raced at all these tracks. And uh, in 1965, he won the championship at every track through 1971 that he raced at. This was 23 straight track championships on four different tracks for seven years. Think about that. I don't know if anybody can say they've ever done that. Even total. Like, yeah. Throughout the years. Unbeaten. For seven straight years. And sometimes he doubled second place as point total. This is how good he was. And you know how sometimes you can be too good and people start hating you and they'll boo you and da-da. This guy always had a great following because he was clean. And he always passed on the outside. He never took anybody out. His cards never failed. It was amazing to watch this guy. We'll segue again.
2: Um, we're gonna go a little. We're gonna go a little newer. Um, the personalities of this area. Let's talk about Jimmy Wildman Watson. <laughs> um, well, many don't know about Jimmy, but he ended up a Furniture Row, and unfortunately passed before Truex won the championship that year. Um, people, when Jimmy passed away on the, on Facebook, a lot of people had very fitting tributes and memories and comments of Jimmy, and you know I think he's. A pretty big piece of this part of the world um, For people And even his story is pretty cool So Pat, tell us um, some good memories of Jimmy, of Jimmy Watson
1: There's three guys that have won rookie of the year In both divisions of Hales Corner Speedway Myself, Jimmy Watson and One other guy, Tom Searing um, That to me means something But um, Jimmy and I raced together a lot uh, He was called the wild man and he's another guy that liked to uh, like to scrape the outside of the wall as he was running around the high side Had quite a following um, He ended up leaving Hales Corners area and moving down to North Carolina and worked for Roush And uh, did that for a number of years and There uh, do you know I think he was on Biffle's team I'm not sure there was a lot of shuffling I think down at Roush when they were downsizing getting rid of some teams but he ended up at Truex and um, unfortunately passed away suddenly the night before a a NASCAR race where the whole crew went to a go-kart track and he climbed out of the go-kart and keeled over and that was it and uh they had a um, They had to get together You know a life celebration thing for him, And that was the, the day of the final race at Homestead Which Martin won And won the championship So 30, 40, 50 of Jimmy's Friends were all there watching that And it was pretty Pretty cool
0: That would be pretty emotional I get goosebumps just even thinking you know, yeah. just how,
1: it all, how it all works out sometimes Yeah, <laughs> Died way too young and uh, I missed the guy. He's a good friend.
0: <laughs> and I think, you know, I didn't know anything about him. I listened to the uh, LTN with Todd Bailing, and, you know, so they, they had talked about him quite a bit, I think, when all that happened. Um, you know, and then you think about there's, this area is tied to a lot of NASCAR. There's a lot of people that come from here to, you know, kind of make it down to Charlotte. Um, you know, and I just think that's kind of cool. I think it's something that, you know, I don't think we celebrate enough, the people that have come from Wisconsin and are, you know, crew chiefs or, you know, even crew members and team members, shop guys, um, you yes, know, yeah. as that segue into NASCAR and just to help keep this sport going.
2: Well, if you think about it, you know, K-Kowicki, um, Robbie Reiser, um, let's see. Come on, Pat.
1: Jump in here. Matt Kenseth, the that's from the Jefferson area. Um, you know, Ken Noyce is I think it's his son
0: is working with ThorSport now, and you look at the Shears, and you know, it's, so there's, you know, there's a lot of connection to NASCAR from this area. And do you think, do you think that's based on the
1: competition, or is it just the knowledge here, or? Well, if you th- I don't know if you guys remember this, but Bobby Allison used to come up to this area to race because he said these were the best short track racers in the, world, in the country. Oh. You know? But Derek Thorne, they said Derek Thorne
0: came. He's from California. Apparently, they said on Speed 51 yesterday that he came and raced in Wisconsin or the Midwest, and I, I don't remember him I, racing around I here. I don't but remember that you either. Know, but, you know, you look at a lot of those guys know that if you want to – if you want to race, it. And Martin did the same thing, right? He Came up to yep. you know, ran the ASA Rusty Wallace. And
2: Rusty Wallace
1: came up yep. and. Um, so you had good racers, and you had good crew people, and uh, a lot of them migrated to the, to the south and ended up on NASCAR teams and. Oh, Jimmy Fenwick. There's a guy
2: that we. Oh, yeah. There's a big geez. guy that we forgot.
1: Started his racing career at Hills Corners. Yeah,
2: yeah Ch- Jack Canales from from Rockford. Yep. yep. Um, let's, let's segue to rapid fire alright
0: we got a few questions here we'll kind of pick your brain uh, <laughs> favorite moment in racing throughout the years and let's, let's split it up let's go favorite moment racing and then maybe favorite moment, moment as a
1: fan and a historian <sighs> oh wow I won a race at Rockford in a vintage car and uh, all my grandkids were there and I didn't really know that they were there, and I took the checkered flag, and I stopped in the, you know, at the start finish line, and they were all screaming and cheering at the fence. And now uh, they were all out on the track to join me in Victory Lane with pictures and all that stuff. That was probably one of the coolest things that I've ever, that I've ever experienced) um, We've won a lot of races, and they're all special, but there's not one that really stands out more than any of the others. And favorite moment, and what was it? As a historian or a fan? I don't know if there's one. I just I really enjoy making somebody's day when they don't think anybody ever took a picture of them, and I'm able to give them one. To me, that means everything. Describe your first win. Do you remember that? um yeah <laughs> oh this is this is pretty cool uh opening night Hales corners 1982 i show up with this primer it's unpainted but it's primer 57 chevy and there's a guy with a 66 chevelle in the same division who's like laughing at me and i'm like dude what's what's your problem and he says why do you bring that junk here well he was in my race and i beat him and I walked up to him and I says, That's why I bring that junk here. <laughs> and when I put when I race in that car, I was still ahead of him in the points. <laughs> and yeah. I'll never forget that. You're not bitter about this at all. Yes. Are you? No. Yeah, I
2: don't. <laughs> no. Yeah,
1: do you hang on to things, Pat. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, all I remember is beating that guy. Not the 10 other cars that were in the race, but that one guy. I knew he was in my race and there was no way he was going to beat me, that piece of junk. <laughs> favorite track I, I, I think i know what you're probably going to say but your favorite track that you've raced on well my favorite track was Hales Corners, but uh right now my favorite track is rockford and people probably think what do you mean rockford you sound like a dirt racer well rockford is a very slippery asphalt track and uh just a blast to race out a uh, bucket list
0: track that you never have gotten the chance to race at that you'd like to. Oh boy.
1: I don't have one. What you never I remember? don't have one. Maybe Bristol. I figured you
2: want to go to Daytona. You might want to read an encyclopedia <laughs> down the backstretch. <laughs> I was
1: tracks. gonna say no. That would bore the hell out of me.
2: Do you
0: have a track that you'd like to go see as a fan? I've Use seen the NASCAR short gone. track.
1: Mm-hmm. You know. Probably North Wilkesboro, believe it or not. Probably because it's closed, but I'd like to see him resurrect that. Ju- junior's trying to on iRacing. That'd be cool.
2: You yeah. ever, have you been to Nashville? No. Fairground Speedway? Yeah. No. I think that's really,
0: that, that's all the questions that As I have here. Don't really. The, the, show's, the
2: show's winding down here. Yeah, there was there was a there was supposed to be a fan question from Johnny Gilbertson, but he's over he's, there going he's, through. He's Pat's, too busy buying stuff. He's too busy, from he's busy over there. buying. He, immersed
1: in pictures. Yeah, yeah, it. he
2: was, he was, he was gonna ask. Uh, he's gonna ask Pat if he'd split the driving duties and the javelin in 2020 at Lacrosse. So who? I'm gonna do it with you and Johnny. You're gonna split duties. He wants to know if you're gonna run the uh, the other half of the double header. What's the double header? Well, both lacrosse races is what he was thinking. See, he's not over here to ask the question, so i got to do it, you know. Well, him.
1: i I, I got to know, am I his first choice, second, third, fourth? I mean, did everybody else turn him down? No, I don't. Well, Steve Holzhausen turned him yeah, down. Yeah, Holzhausen okay. shot him down. And I'm sure Carlson won. shot him um, down. So yeah, he has a late won. model, ride. A so, oh, refner so. got in the car once and said, "Not again." Yeah. And so, <laughs> well, Holzhausen like, wanted to go fishing. Where am I so, in the pecking order here? Well, I don't know. You're about
0: fourth or fifth, I think. <laughs> well,
1: you
2: know, probably
1: don't even deserve to be in the top thirty, to be honest with you. But uh, I'd love to drive that nitrous induced rocket ship. <laughs>
2: There's no, there's no nitrous. It's just, really? it's, it's just a fire extinguisher. Oh, oh. I guess I could go through. What are the future
0: plans for Pat Haney here? Yeah. Is, it, is it to stay, keep driving? Is it to keep vintage racing, do it as
1: long as it's fun? Uh, there's nothing better than driving. Um, I still enjoy the driving part. I don't mind working on a car. I don't like driving two, three, four hours to a racetrack. Going there doesn't isn't that bad. Coming home's horrible. Um, I don't see so well at night, so that's a problem. My age is catching up with me a little bit. I've got some uh, some issues going on with parts of my body that don't like to race. So I don't know. We'll see what happens. Uh, I I need something to trip my trigger, and right now there's not a whole lot out there that does. I right, I just I just opened the door for you. That javelin kinda trips my trip. Yeah,
2: I just I just opened the door, so I don't want to hear that
1: okay. I don't know, I don't wanna drive. And you don't, you don't have, have to race You won't have
2: to work on it, you just show
1: up. No, I'll race that car, but one 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 thing, Scott's gotta make sure the lug nuts are tight. <laughs> <laughs>
2: that that wasn't my job that day. I was supposed to work on Paul's car. Okay? All right, just 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 back off.
0: And with that, that'll wrap up our interview with Pat Haney here at the Milwaukee Miniature Motors Model Club and Racing Memorabilia Show in Waukesha. And we'd like to take a minute to um, let you know some upcoming 2020 dates that they have. January 19th is the Scale Auto Hobby and Toy Show, um, and that's at the American Serb Hall in Milwaukee. Um, and then March 1st is a scale auto, hobby, and toy show also at the Serb Hall in Milwaukee. Actually, all these are um, in Milwaukee, March 1st. And then March 8th, the following weekend, is the Brew City Advertising Show um, at Serb Hall. So that's the January 19th, March 1st, and March 8th, all at the Serb Hall um, for 2020 dates. Uh, if so if you're into the model industry, you're into the scale auto um, in the Brew City. I'm guessing that's probably a beer sign, commer- or yeah, yeah. beer side train show, or something. Um, if you're into any one of those, definitely check them out. Um, we'll put a link in the, the description here that you can that you can find out more information. Um, but Pat was great. Yeah, a uh, lot of a lot of history. Yes, um, yes. and you know I think he's on the right track with what what racing needs. Right, um, what racing oh, needs right. as far as the history. Um, you know, and we just we need more guys like him in this sport.
2: Yeah, it's 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 missing. It's it's definitely missing today, no doubt. Um like to thank uh, Jim for letting us come out and do the podcast today at the at the show. Appreciate that. It's been a unique and unique experience. First live show. Um some challenges, some background noise and well, everybody's would, tearing down the, and the, the, the worst part is all of the Pad Haney fans walking by wanting autographs. Yeah. Yeah, it kinda Without makes it us. tough. Yeah, without us,
0: no no autographs for us. But so check this out. Uh, you know, we definitely uh, subscribe, like, rate, and review the podcast uh, on any platform that you're listening to. We appreciate you listening, um, and we can't wait to uh, figure out who the next guest is on the shop night.